Hello, everyone. Thanks for tuning in. I'm Pastor John Henry, and this is the podcast of Zion and St. James Lutheran Parish in Martin County, Minnesota. What you're about to hear comes from our Friday morning Bible class. Currently, we're working our way through some of the core topics of the Bible, like, for example, the Trinity, the sacraments, justification, heaven and hell, the end of time, those kinds of topics. Episodes will be recorded every Friday in Bible class, and they'll be posted as soon as humanly possible with God's help and with minimal editing. Enjoy. What I'd like to do, so as I, we have, we went over the whole topic of the Bible in the Bible, okay? I want to, I have several more topics laid out that I want to go through. I'd like to go through here the um, topic of the, we're going to do it this way. We're going to do, we're going to take the two two most complicated and most mind-bending topics and put them together into one, okay? Um, that's the, the Trinity, the Trinity and the Incarnation. The reason I want to do them together is because, as it turns out, they kind of go together in the Bible, okay? You'll see that that uh, topics that, that, that as we're dealing with Bible passages, these two, the, the, these two topics show up connected together, okay? Um, and we'll see that. But the first thing I want to do, oh, and I should say this, is when, when we are completed with this topic, like I said, I have several more of kind of these doctrinal topics that I would like to go through, but we can take a break after that and go, you know, do a little side quest for a little bit and come back then and do another one later. We don't have to do it all, all um, one right after the other. I'd like to begin, let's look in the Augsburg Confession here, just so that we can kind of define what we're, what we're talking about. We'll return to this as we um, I want to go, I want to look at Article 1, it's on page 19. It says, Our churches teach with common consent that the, that the decree of the Council of Nicaea about the unity of the divine essence and the three persons is true. It is to be believed without any doubt. God is one divine essence who is eternal, without a body, without parts of infinite power, wisdom, and goodness, he is the maker and preserver of all things, visible and invisible. Yet there are three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. These three persons are of the same essence and power. Our churches use the term person as the fathers have used it. We use it to signify not a part or a quality in another, but that which subsists in itself. Okay? So, that's, that's, sort, of, that's sort of part one of this. When we're talking about the Trinity, is we have one essence or one, yeah, one essence. God is one essence, and then we have three persons, or sometimes we'll just say one God, three persons. Okay, 
And um, the next part of it, I want to jump ahead then to look at Article 3, where it talks about the Son of God. Uh, it says, Our churches teach that the Word, that is, the Son of God, assumed the human nature in the womb of the Blessed Virgin Mary, so there are two natures, the divine and the human, inseparably joined in one person. There is one Christ, true God and true man, who was born of the Virgin Mary, truly suffered, was crucified, died, and was buried, etc. Okay, so this then is, this part is that there are two, two natures, okay, and these two natures, and then the three persons, of course, are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, okay, and then the Son, who they also call here, the word, and we will look at that today, uh, has, possesses these two natures of human and divine. Okay? So, and so in one sense, this is the kind of stuff that's like the most impossible to understand, right? In another sense, it's actually... I mean, if you can remember the numbers one, two, three, you can you can at least uh, you can at least have a nice sketch in your mind of what it what we're talking about here. Okay, um, there's one God, the three persons of the Trinity: Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and the second person of the Trinity, the Son, has two natures. Okay, he assumed a human nature. Okay. Um, if we, any, so, and this is, well, let's, let's do this first. Let's go, I want to look at the, briefly look at the Athanasian Creed that we use on Trinity Sunday. That is on page, in the hymnal, that is on page 319. Okay, so the Athanasian Creed, it's going to, it's going to, we, we know it, and we use it on Trinity Sunday, and so we know it is kind of like the Trinity Creed, right? It goes, it goes deep into this Trinity business. It also, it actually has two parts. The first part is concerning the Trinity, and the second part is concerning the Incarnation. I want to point out um, in what they have there is verse 3. It says, the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in Trinity and Trinity in unity, neither confusing the persons nor dividing the substance. And then I want to just look at like verse, well, we can jump over to 11 there. Or let's do 10. The Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Spirit eternal, and yet there are not three eternals, but one eternal just as there are not three uncreated or three infinites, but one uncreated and one infinite, in the same way, the Father is almighty, the Son almighty, the Holy Spirit almighty, and yet there are not three almighties, but one almighty. Okay, so, and then just um, to look at the 320 on page 320, verse 28 of the Athanasian Creed. This is all just kind of, defining the territory here that we're going to explore in the Bible. So, 
uh, in verse 28, therefore it is the right faith that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is at the same time God and man. He is God, begotten from the substance of the Father before all ages, and he is man, born of the substance of his mother in this age. Perfect God and perfect man, composed of a rational soul and human flesh, equal to the Father with respect to his divinity, less than the Father with respect to his humanity. Although he is God and man, he is not two, but one Christ. And that will... That's probably enough from the Athanasian Creed for, for one Friday morning. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 1. Like John chapter 1 is kind of the, uh, a, core, a core place we go, but it's also going to lead us in a direction that maybe we didn't think. Um, or if you did think, I'm, I'm glad. But Okay, so in the beginning was the word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. So notice, let's, let's just um, keep track of a couple things. So it, says, so it says, the Word is with God, is God. Okay? See how it says, I mean, so already with that sentence you have, some, some kind of massive complexity compared to what we would normally, you know, what, what is commonly depicted as God. There is he's called, this being that's called the Word, who is with God, but is not just with God, but also is God, okay? And it says, all things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. Okay, so that's taking us all the way back to the very beginning. The first, you know, this is this is now giving us an interpretation of the first words of the Bible. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. This is saying that this, and I mean, we know what this is, but as we're just following along and just taking in what John is, what the Gospel of John is saying here. Okay, so it's this being called the Word, who is with God, who is God, and who. Uh, creates, okay? And in, in the, let's say, the, the non-Jewish religions that were around Israel, okay, um, and that were in Israel at the time of Christ, okay, there is no, I mean, there really is no, there is no real notion that there is one all-powerful creator God, okay? That's a, that is a Jewish biblical thing, okay? There is no real idea that like Zeus or one of the other gods created everything. This is something that's very unique to Israel, that they say their God is the God who made everything, okay? And like if you, all of the you know, the Greek myths and the Mesopotamian, the Babylonian myths and the Egyptian myths have stories about how everything came into being, but the idea that there is one God who creates everything, including all human beings, including all other spiritual beings, which we would call angels, some of whom became devils, 
that he, that he is the source of everything and he is before everything is not something that they, that the other religions other than Judaism have. So when it says that this word creates everything or through him, everything, it could be through him or could be by him. And that's kind of ambiguous actually, but creates everything. They're saying that he is, this is the thing that makes the God of Israel on a fundamental level different than any other God, is that he creates everything. So they are saying, by saying that, he, that this word creates everything, they are saying he is the God of Israel, okay? And that's not, that's not, there's nothing ambiguous about that. So he is with God, he is God, and he creates everything. And through him, everything is created. Okay. Um, uh, I want to jump down to verse 14 then. And then it says in verse 14, And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth, okay? So, we notice now that we're, we're, we're clearly saying that the Word is the Son, okay? It didn't say that in verse 1, but now this, is the, the, this Word is the Son of God, okay? And He is the Son, let's say, of the Father. Let's do it this way, okay? And... The Son, that is the Word, okay? It doesn't, and it doesn't say that he, like, put on a human disguise, okay? And just sort of appeared as a human being. Because apparently, you know, even under certain circumstances, it seems like even devils can do that, can look like a human being, perhaps. I don't want to get into too much about that, but just... So it doesn't say that he showed up looking like a human being, dressed as a human being. It says that he was made, the word was made flesh. That is, he became fully a human being. Okay? And, <clears throat> okay? Um, so right here we have, I mean, we haven't, there's not been nothing in here so far about the Holy Spirit. But all of, this, all of this confusing stuff about persons and essences and natures is already here, right here, laid out very simply in these words that, you know, a lot of us memorize in confirmation, right? It says that there is, and then the last thing I want to look at is, um, I want to jump down to verse 18, This is, this is maybe one we don't, you know, these two verses, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was made flesh, verse 1 and verse 14, we kind of maybe know. This verse 18, though, this is also really something here. It says, No one has ever seen God. The only God who is at the Father's side, He has made Him known. Um, let me just see what this footnote says here. Oh, it says, some of it says, some manuscripts say the only son. Okay, 
So it says, and you, you got you to gotta think about this, okay? It says, no one has ever seen God. And you can think back into the Old Testament and think maybe, well, I can think of some stories where some people saw God, okay? Moses, the burning bush. Uh, seems like maybe Abraham saw God once in a while, okay? It says here, no one has ever seen God. But then it says, the only God has been, and it should be translated, has been making him known, okay? And this, um, so no one has ever seen God, but the only God who is at the Father's side has been making him known, okay? I'm going to, um, so do you see what that's kind of implying? No, that's the son. Yeah, what that is saying is in the Old Testament, when people see God, they are seeing the word. They are not seeing, you cannot see the father. You can see when God appears and makes himself known and reveals himself, and even at some times is seen, that's the word. Okay, I'm going to try to lay out the story kind of simply here that we're being told, okay? That in the beginning, I mean, the, this Holy Spirit is here too. He's not talked about in this passage in John 1, but the Holy Spirit is going to play a role here, okay? Obviously, but just so far what we're getting from John 1 in the beginning, since the beginning, since before there was anything, there is the Father and the Son. Okay? Yes, also the Holy Spirit, but we're just not talking about it yet. Through the Son, the Father created everything. Okay? Throughout the whole Old Testament, when God reveals himself, it is the Son of God that is revealing the Father. Okay? In time, in, let's say, just the traditional date, you know, 1 AD, the Son became flesh, born of the Virgin Mary, to save us from our sins. Okay? The Son existed before he was born of the Virgin Mary. But, so, okay, is this sort of, and what, and, and what I want to emphasize is what John is saying is that the Son is part of the Old Testament story, okay? Which means that the Father and the Son is part of the Old Testament story, which means that this Holy Trinity stuff wasn't just something that came around in, you know, after Paul died, and then they're like, well, we've got to figure out some way to, make this all make sense in a nice little statement that we can make the kids memorize, right? This was, this is who God has always been. And if we believe the New Testament, and as we're going through the Old Testament, we can actually learn to see this there too, okay? And it's, you know, and sometimes we think that in the Old Testament, God is one thing, and then sort of we get to the New Testament, and then it sort of gets all crazy with this Trinity stuff. 
What this is saying is that the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit has been the way it has always been. And this is in the Old Testament. It's part of the Old Testament story that we're going to. And that's that's actually where I want to go and explore. But we want to make sure we're. Okay. Let's go to Genesis chapter one. So it says. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was without form and void and darkness was over the face of the deep and the spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. And God said, let there be light and there was light. Okay, so you have, um, I mean, you have, obviously you have God and then you have the spirit of God, which are connected together here, but are not quite the same thing, okay? And then you have the speaking of God, okay? And then when God speaks, things are no longer in darkness, but now things are in light, and there is the beginning of, there is the beginning of, you know, as light comes in, there becomes the possibility for anything else that might be there or will be there to begin to receive things from God. Okay. I mean, you think, I mean, you think about that. It's kind of like when you turn on a light in a room, we're actually receiving light into our being through our eyes from the light bulb. Okay. And that light that we're receiving lights up and opens up everything else. In some sense, before we turn on the light, there is no room that we can perceive. And then when the light comes on, we receive light and then the room comes into being too. Okay. So what is happening then is you have, you have in the beginning, right? God. Okay. And then you have the spirit of God. And it says that the spirit of God is hovering. So what you have then is, and we're not going to get into creation all that much right now. But what you have, it sounds like there's this sort of creation starts out. The first thing that comes from God is sort of this, it says it's this empty, formless water. Okay, that's what it says. The earth was without form and void, and the earth is water. Okay, so it's, it's formless and it has no life. Okay, and the spirit of God, it says, is hovering over the face of the waters. And hovering is a word that would be used to describe, I mean, in, in the Hebrew is a word that describes like a, it, it does describe something that seems kind of bird-like, okay? Something that's sort of, yeah, fl uh, yeah, or, and also something that might have um, the, um, the idea of like, you know, like how a mother hen gathers her chicks, right? You know how like, well, I mean, we, we have the word helicopter parent today, right? The parents who like hover around their children, all that, you know what I mean? Like, have you heard that? Yeah. yeah. Kind of hover after, hover and follow your kid, you know. So there is, and we kind of take it as like a negative thing, but what you do have then is you have this kind of, kind of parental, almost maternal image of the, of the spirit hovering over 
the unformed creation, okay? And then, and, the, yeah, and then you have the speaking of God, okay? Okay, and then you have the, the, so you have God referred to, you have the spirit of God, and then you have the speaking of God, okay? And these are the things that bring into being all things, okay? Okay, and, you know, this is not, this doesn't say Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, but if you really take seriously that, that there, you can't think that there is, that these things are present before there is anything, okay? God, the Spirit of God, and the speaking of God are there before there is anything that we can identify as a thing, including nothing. Because if you think of nothing, you can't think of nothing. You're always thinking of a thing, even if it's just a black void. That's a thing. Okay? Before there are any things, there, are, there is this. Okay? So then, in some, then we have to say this is sort of these things are then, they are before creation, they are then what we would call eternal, okay? And they're clearly laid out as they are these three things, okay? Now, if you want to, I mean, you could dispute this and you could say, well, you're reading too much into this and this is, you're being too literalistic or dogmatic about this. And if it's just this, okay, maybe fine, fair enough. But as we go on, we're going to see that the rest of the Bible makes more sense if you assume that these three things are eternal things. And, they, and, if, and if they are eternal, they must be God. Okay? So, the speaking of God must be God. The Spirit of God must be God. God must be God. And yet... For the, for the Bible, there is only one God. Just go to 26 really quick. Verse 26. Yep. John, or, uh, sorry, Genesis 1.26. We're going to see this a couple times. I'm going to point it out here, and then I'm gonna, we'll point it out as it shows up in the rest of the Bible, especially in Genesis as we go. It says, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. Okay, and that plural, I mean, that's not just something they put in the King James to make it the royal we. That is something that is um, somewhat difficult to explain unless you are already buying into that God is, has a plurality in him already from the beginning. So when God says, let us make man in our image after our likeness the god that right the god is the the father the word the son and the holy spirit that's why it's that's why it's and this is not a this is not just a one-off thing this shows up again a couple times okay god we are we get a moment where we where it, by moses through the holy spirit obviously God's within the Trinity, so to speak, there is this deliberation about creation, the creation of human beings. The whole Trinity, so to speak, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit 
all, I mean, they all, it's not like they would ever be arguing. That's, it's, you know, they work, it's all one essence and they work together, okay? But we're seeing that the, that the Trinity is sort of speaking within itself and deliberating within itself. And this is obviously, this is revealed to us in kind of these human words, but what's happening is the Trinity is, we are made in the image of the Trinity, right? When we say, with, when we say we're, man is created in the image of God, it's God, God and the speaking Son, Word of God and the Holy Spirit of God. We're made in the image of the Holy Trinity, okay? People say that they'll sort of criticize the Bible and say it's like, it's sort of silly because God is obviously just some, in the, the God of the Bible is obviously just some, something that human beings made up to look like them, okay? But actually, it's, it's the reverse. Like, we should expect God to be something like a human being when we find him in the Bible, not that he is a human being, except in that, insofar as the Son of God is human, but when, that he can talk and interact is expected because human beings are made to be like him, okay? So, and yet also, you know, as we encounter human beings today, we are also fallen and very deeply, you know, this image of God in us is in some, in some aspects almost completely erased, in some ways severely damaged, in many other ways twisted and deformed, okay? So, um, all right, I want to look at one other thing in Genesis while we're here, or in, in the beginnings of Genesis, the, so the whole creation and fall story. I want to, okay, so Genesis 3.15 So this is, what, what has happened is that humanity, you know, Adam and Eve have, have been deceived by the serpent. They have taken the, the fruit. They have eaten it. They've realized they're naked. It says, strangely, it says, I mean, not strangely, but it says unexpectedly, perhaps, that God is walking in the garden in the cool of the day. Okay? So God is kind of walking around in sort of a human, something that would, a human being would do. And he comes looking for Adam and Eve. And if we believe what John told us in John chapter 1, no one has ever seen God but the only begotten Son of God, however it's translated, has been making him known. So the one who is walking in the garden is, it's, it's at least safe to assume this is the Son of God. Okay? This is the same one who walked on water as a man thousands of years later. Okay, he's not, in, he's not depicted as being incarnate, as having flesh, but it's the son. Okay, so um, he comes into the garden and he's looking for them and then he finds them and they, Adam, of course, blames his wife and then Eve blames the serpent. And then God, so the order goes, Adam blames Eve Eve blames the serpent. So then in reverse, when God says, okay, here's what's going to happen, he starts with the serpent, then he goes to Eve, then he goes to Adam. Okay? So, but right now God is saying to the serpent in Genesis 3.15, this is what will happen. He says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring 
he shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay. So, folks who don't believe the Bible will say, what this is, is this is just some old myth and legend about how women, why women don't like snakes. Okay. What's that? And, and how the descendants of women and the descendants of snakes are never going to get along. Okay. But that doesn't really, I mean, that misses a whole lot of what the Bible actually says, obviously. When it says between your offspring and her offspring, then it uses this, a single pronoun, a singular pronoun, he. So when it's talking about the woman's offspring, it's thinking God is thinking of one, one offspring in particular. And it says he, a masculine, will bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Okay? So, you have to think on a number of different levels here, okay? What it's, what it's, kind, of, it's kind of like, it's sort of like a, a little bit of a parable here, okay? Where it's a story, but it has a much deeper meaning. The story is the story of A, that Eve is going to have a son, and that son is going to, you know, do what human beings do when they see a snake, and that's smash its head with your foot, okay? I don't know if we do that, but that's, you know, that's the idea, okay? There's going to be this little battle between a human being and a snake, and the human being, because it's larger, can smash the snake with its foot. However, watch out, the snake can still bite you in the foot, okay? So that's sort of the image that you're getting, okay? However, we know that this snake is not just a snake. It's first of all a talking snake, and it's a snake that's in rebellion against God and leading people away from God, leading people to disobey and distrust his word. So it's the devil, okay? That becomes explicit later. And if the snake is the devil, then we're not talking about, we're not, ta we're not saying Eve's going to have a kid and he's going to be a snake hunter, right? He's like Crocodile Dundee, or uh, what is that? Crocodile, the, Steve Irwin. Right? Yeah. <laughs> okay. So uh, he's, uh, um, we're, saying, we're saying that this battle between this kid and this snake, or this son and this snake, is actually, we're talking about a spiritual battle. Okay? In this spiritual battle, the son, the offspring, will be injured, but injured in such a way that he survives. Okay? Because you can survive a snake bite in your foot, depending on what kind of snake it is. You know, if you get bit by a rattlesnake, seek medical attention right away. Okay, but um, but you know, uh, uh, an injury to your foot is less catastrophic than an injury to your head. Okay, so in this battle, this spiritual battle, this the Satan will be destroyed, the son of the woman will be injured. Okay, and this has been long understood to be a reference to the death and resurrection of Jesus defeating Satan, okay? And then we have to see, now also just think about this, if a being is going to defeat Satan, what is, the, what is currently, if we have God and Satan, 
and then, and then there's human beings in the world, and Satan just won the battle with human beings, okay? He just got all the human beings on his side, okay? It means that if somebody is going to defeat Satan, it's not likely that it's going to be, it's not going to be a human being, because human beings are already defeated by Satan, okay? So, this one who comes to defeat Satan must therefore be God. However, if he is going to be, if he is going to have this kind of, you know, if he is going to be wounded in his flesh in the defeat of Satan, he must also be a human being, okay? So this, this thing that we're calling, this two natures in Christ, that he is God so that he can defeat, so that he can, because a human being by himself can't defeat Satan. Only God can defeat Satan. Only, and, in, and then in a sense, only a human being can defeat Satan. Because a human being has to, what, I mean, th what it's saying here is suffer, okay? So God suffers as a human being, and in his human suffering and in his divine power, defeats Satan, okay? So this idea that the word God is flesh to save us from our sins and from death and from the power of the devil is like right there in, in, it's like the first thing God says after the fall of humanity, or one of the first things, okay? And this little passage here, this is one you may want to, I mean, you, you know, we know John 3.16 Last week we had uh, 2 Timothy 3.16. All scripture is breathed out by God. This one right here, Genesis 3.15, is, is and has been called for a long time. So long, it's been called this for so long that it originally was called this in Latin. Okay? It's called the Proto, the Proto Evangelion, right? The first, the first evangelism, the first gospel, the first statement of the gospel, okay? And realize what God is doing. He is saying, he says, I will put enmity between the woman and the devil, meaning I will take humanity's side against the devil. Even though humanity has just rebelled against me and joined the devil, and has opened up enmity between human beings and God, God is saying, that's not the way it's going to be. I'm going to take human beings, the side of humanity, and put, and put the enemy relationship between human beings and the devil, and I am going to take humanity's side against the devil. Okay? Right? In the fall, Satan and human beings kind of became allies. Okay? I mean, human beings got tricked into doing it, but they became allies, okay? God is saying, that's not the way I want this. I am going to become allies with human beings against the devil, okay? That's what that enmity is about. And also notice this last thing. It says, the seed of the woman, which is a very strange thing in the Old Testament. In the Old Testament, it's always... This guy begot that guy begot that guy, okay? It's always, the seed is always the seed of the man, okay? The offspring of the man. It's always the offspring of the man by this woman, 
here in Genesis, it is the offspring of the woman. And then later, obviously, this is, so this is, this is already you have kind of a prediction of the virgin birth of Christ, right? That the woman will be a virgin, that, that, that there's no man involved, there's no human man involved in this. Yeah, right. Okay. So, I mean, we just kind of pulled a whole bunch of like, yeah, have a good day. We're, gonna, we're, we're almost done. <laughs> yeah. Um, so then Eve then kind of becomes, I mean, the whole, you know, it's, there's a connection here that shows up in Christian art and in, sometimes in hymns and poetry, a connection between Eve and Mary because Eve brought sin into the world with Adam. Mary brought the Savior into the world with God, so there's that parallel gets brought up. Um, but the fact that it says just on a grammatical level, the seed of the woman seems to be hard to get around the idea that this is saying there's not going to be a man involved in this, which means this must be a, the Virgin Mary, right? Okay. So we've just gotten, we've just kind of pulled out like a whole bunch of like the Apostles' Creed out of this one verse, okay? Thank you for listening. Join us live and in person Friday mornings at 8 a.m. at St. James Lutheran Church for Bible study. Join us for divine service on Sunday mornings, 8.30 a.m. at St. James Lutheran in Northrop or at Zion Lutheran at 10 a.m. in rural Fairmont. Check out our website at sjlnorthrop.com. Find us on Facebook at St. James Lutheran Northrop. Thanks again. God's peace.